it's Chris Urban. Welcome to the Triple Clicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. It took way too long to get my close friend and now CMO of DraftKings, Tom Getty, on the podcast. Tom and I worked together for years at Wizards of the Coast in EA Sports, so we had some fun conversations about NCAA, NASCAR, Tiger Woods, and how DraftKings is surviving in a world without sports. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Tom Getty, CMO of DraftKings and longtime friend. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. I oh, appreciate it. I'm happy to finally get on. Took us too long to get here. Uh, way too long. Uh, you moved to Boston, which like that's a whole another podcast. Why the hell you would move to Boston? Um, so we have to dig into that. But just for for people listening for the first time, we have worked together for almost two decades uh, at Wizards of the Coast, and we're going to dig into the EA Sports. Uh, time we spent together. And now I am uh, just a little tiny entrepreneur running a little tiny agency and you are the CMO of DraftKings. So excited to talk about that. Um, Career-wise, humongous entertainment. Tell us, uh, how'd you get started in gaming? Oh man, it was, Humongous was such a blast. Uh, I joined Humongous when they were about 20 people. Uh, way back in 94, we were preparing to launch uh, Freddie Fish in the case of the missing kelp seeds. The first ever <laughs> Windows 95 native uh, app. <laughs> which is wow. a, a great piece, but, uh, yeah, super fun back then. I, I started as a tester, uh, quickly started managing the test department after like literally a couple of weeks. Cause I had a little bit of professional experience beforehand and, uh, you know, it's just a tiny company where everybody's doing everything and, you know, went on to go create cult classics like the backyard sports, backyard baseball and football and soccer and all that good stuff. And don't forget pajama, uh, Sam, don't leave out pajama, you. Sam. Uh, no, Pajama Sam, Freddie Fish, Putt Putt. We had it all for those three to eight year olds. Uh, you you moved over to Wizards of the Coast, and uh, you were there before. I think you were. How long were you there before I was? You were there a year before uh, I was. Not that long. Probably six months, maybe a year. But okay. it's been a long time. So hard uh, yeah, and I ran everything except magic and sports. Tom was the sports guy and Tom wouldn't talk to me for the first few months. Cause I was on the nerd <laughs> stuff. I was doing Dungeons and Dragons in the book series and Pokemon. Uh, and you and still I was, are. Uh, I still <laughs> definitely still clients of mine, um, which was a good time. I know that tell me a little bit about the, the reader uh, for the, for the football game. Oh, so I'm just going to go, I'm going to go right down the, <laughs> go we're going to start the heart. Yeah. Talk shit about, you know, what's super funny that. is I did an interview earlier today for the Atlantic on a guy that loved MLB showdown and is like piecing together a story with like me and Jared Nack and Jamie and Mark Wyther and all those crews. So it's, uh, it's definitely memory lane day. Here. Oh my God. But, but yeah, so, you know, I, I went there to, it was the beginning of the Pokemon boom or early in the Pokemon boom, I would say. And, and, you know, there's a lot of really smart folks at wizards and they had uh, an interesting strategy in that they didn't think they could s- sustain the heat of Pokemon because it was just burning so hot. Uh, you know, as you well know, and remember we went from $175 million a year to $750 million in one year. So like the growth was just explosive. So to, um, uh, so we started building uh, product paths and saying, okay, we're going to graduate 
people off of Pokemon and move them in different directions. Where do we want to move them? So the first one was, uh, and they hired me to come in and do kind of mass market entertainment. Um, so sports was the first, uh, first foray there. MLB showdown was the very first product had pretty good success, uh, with that and a million road stories with all the travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had WCW wrestling, WCW nitro creating card game. <laughs> uh, we had, uh, and then we had NFL showdown. And, uh, it was interesting because there was a big debate internally on, we had two different options to go. We had just been acquired by Hasbro. Uh, we had two different options to go. One was dice based, uh, and much more similar to the MLB showdown game card, uh, card game mechanics. Uh, and then the other option involved, uh, barcodes and a scanner, um, and, uh, and a little more complexity. And it was pretty cool, you know, in, in concept as you're developing, it's like, yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting. And brings a little bit of new technology uh, to the story so that it doesn't feel like just dice and cards. Um, uh, ultimately, I said, let's go for simplicity. You always want to go be as simple as possible and got overridden. So we, especially uh, on the especially with the success that MLB, like you guys were doing great stuff with promo cards and you guys are really kind of building that Pokemon model around that stuff. So I thought there was really kind of some fun things I thought you guys were doing. I thought what you built with the football seemed great. Like it looked really good. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, that's the thing about those trading card games is half the people are there for collectability. uh, And we're employing all the, you know, chase cards and rarity schemes of uh, not just Magic the Gathering, but of sports cards, uh, that industry itself. A lot of their market, their sports card marketing tactics, and then crossing over with the game as well. So there were people there just to collect. There were people there just to gain. yeah, so NFL came around and we we went the route of the of the reader, and uh, he came in, and there was something <laughs> wrong with the hollow cards. So all the premium cards had a really difficult time reading the barcode, and it was just, oh my goodness, it was painful. But I I so much promise and. And it just never got off the ground because of it. Uh, the reason I kind of brought that up is because I know that was your pain point there. Uh, but then you bounce and go to EA to run um, some of the EA sports stuff. And I get left with um, the hand, the bag of, they put out football under me and I did get some free Super Bowl tickets out of it. Uh, but I had to, I had to take that, uh, land that plane and do some fun stuff around it. So you can always find a silver line. Uh, there's always a silver lining. Uh, so you went to EA sports, uh, and I tried as fast as possible to follow you. Uh, but it took a while. I think it took a couple years. Yeah. I think, how long were you at EA before I was there? A couple, two or three years. I think it was right about two years if I remember correctly. And I remember I tell the story, but I, um, I sent you a Christmas gift like on December, <laughs> December 15th, I send you a box of chocolates and I just said, Hey, I had some extra promotional swag that I, I hadn't sent out. I was like, Hey, hope, hope you and the family are doing well. And I think your response was send me your resume. And I was like, well, it's taken two years to get that request. Um, <laughs> what, what took so long to recruit me? You and I both worked in, in Todd Citron's organization and uh, I forget what the leveling was, but he didn't want to go above a, speci- a special level. You and I had been talking about this role for like six months and I'm like, I'm not going to bring you in on a lower level because, you know, it's a slow uh, process to get promoted out of what you come in in that in that organization, in that culture. And uh, so I was like, I'm not bringing you in to something that I don't think you're going to succeed in. And so finally, you you sent that box of chocolates, and we were down the road with another candidate 
And I wasn't super wild about that other person. And the chocolates came and I said, screw it. I'm going to go beg Todd to let me come in at a higher level. And so that's what I did. I'm like, hey, if you'll consider, I got a, I got a great person that's much better than the one that we have in the chamber here. And, um, and yeah, so your first phone call, I think, was, you know, a couple of days later. And yours was for, yeah, it was a really fast hiring process because it takes forever to get hired at EA. Yeah, I did the phone call a couple of days later and then he was like, can you come down on December 26th? <laughs> and I was like, seriously? Like That's I've been <laughs> literally, and I was like, I've wanted this job forever to work at EA Sports. And then I've got to fly on Christmas. I'm like, I was like, I just got, I got to tell this guy I can't. And I'm like, look, it's, cr- I'd have to fly on Christmas from Seattle to Florida. And he's like, all right, how about, how about January 2nd or 3rd? And I was like, fine, whatever. I'll fly on New Year's. The funny thing is we've been closed anyway. Like, <laughs> you yeah, I don't, down for two weeks at Christmas or one week. And then we almost everybody takes a second. I, know. Week, so. I think I, the day that I interviewed was literally the day you guys had new, moved into that new office. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. That was, that was day one. And he put me in a conference room and no one could find me. Like everyone was like 10 minutes late to the interview because they were like, I don't know where this room is. Um, but I had a great, obviously a great interview. I started right away and then I got to work on the, like, that was the highlight for me was getting to work with you guys. And, um, especially just us being together. And I was kind of working with Jordan on the Madden franchises. You were running kind of everything else. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun, didn't we? Wow. Oh, we had a lot of fun. That's what I wanted to dig into. Oh. So I had Jorge write up a bunch of lists of things to talk about. <laughs> I know I was going to have him call in and take a caller, but, uh, I was too worried. Yeah. I was too worried about editing him out of here. Um, <laughs> before I got there, you guys do the EA sports 500 for NASCAR. Uh, tell me about, uh, tell me about the 500. What, what was the, what was the strategy behind that? And how did you guys build that out? It was so fun. So uh, the eSports 500 at Talladega, we did it for five years, if I recall. And uh, the reason it was important is because uh, EA had secured the uh, exclusive NASCAR relationship. Um, we EA actually had a big NASCAR business, like a like an eighty million dollar a year NASCAR business in the PS One era. Uh, and then they went dormant uh, for a few years and brought it back as, as NASCAR Thunder. And so that was the way to basically let the entire racing world know that the game is back uh, by having this eSports 500 at Talladega. Incredible event. Uh, you know, I tell people all the time, I knew nothing about NASCAR at all. Uh, my very first day of work was uh, April 15th, 2001, I think. You know, one or two. And uh, I went to sales meetings in, uh, at Ears and Redwood Shores there. And then on uh, on Thursday morning, I jumped on a plane and headed to Talladega. Knew, again, knew absolutely no one. Uh, Todd literally slid a piece of paper across the table at me that said Bill and a phone number. He's like, <laughs> go to the track and get, get in touch with this person. I'm like, well, where's my, I don't have a hotel or anything. He's like, don't worry about it. They got it all. You don't need anything. So... I went and had the absolute uh, time of life, met, met Bill, my 73-year-old groomsman who took care of me through that weekend and, and years to come. And just gave me an incredible introduction to the sport and uh, built up my knowledge. Like the very first thing we did, like the first person I met, he grabbed me, we came on site and he took me to Richard Petty's uh, uh, coach to hang out. And 
you know, Richard took me under his wing right away. He was like, well, if you don't know nothing about NASCAR, you're going to be in charge of something this important. We better go meet some people. So the whole weekend was just a blur of, of uh, you know, meeting people and, God, just the biggest names in racing teaching me just, you know, the minutia level of what goes into setting up cars and what's interesting and all that stuff. And it was incredible times. I could tell a story for hours on that one. But, uh, waving, uh, the, waving the flags. I think you gave Dale, Dale Jr. one, one of the one of the races. I presented, uh, the, I presented the trophy to Dale several times. He won three of them uh, that we did. And then his teammate, Michael Waltrip, in the Napa car uh, won one. And I think it was... Kevin Harvick maybe won the won the fifth one, but yeah, we did all that and dropped the green flag for one of them. Like you know, carousing at night on Talladega Boulevard and with all our uh, with all our business people that we bring in and all that stuff. We just had so much fun, man. The funniest story about NASCAR, you used to take me, I used to go hang out with you, which I, I always had a blast. I, I, there was one year that I actually got put in charge of NASCAR and it was the one where we had the Super Bowl in Arizona. Um, and, and the I, catch? Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, so I had to, uh, they were like, look, you're in charge of NASCAR. You need to go drive an ask. You, you need to drive a car. So they did the, the petty experience in Arizona. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll go, I'll go drive out and I'll do it. And I didn't know the track was so far. Um, and I, I, you have to be there early to go through how to do everything and get dressed up and you have to do that stuff. And if you're late, they don't let you do it. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try and be on time. I was literally an hour late. I show up there. Everyone's literally climbing in the car. I didn't sit through the training or anything. And they're like, oh, look, you're late. You can't do it. Like, give us your name and we'll cross you off the list. And I was like, all right, my name's Chris Herb. I'm with EA Sports. Like, oh, EA Sports, you know how to drive a car. Hop in. And so I literally had zero training on a, and they were just like, you know how to do, you know how to shift. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. He's like, yeah, just push these paddles. You'll be fine. And they were like, you got to get up to about 150 miles an hour. It's a three point turn. So there's three, you know, three corners in this track. So it's a little bit different. And I just remember I literally shit myself just driving that car, 150 miles an hour. I didn't know what, tur- like the, I remember the first turn you're supposed to break in and then the next two turns you're supposed to speed through. I, I thought you sped through the first one. So I almost slid into the wall on the first one. <laughs> it was very much the NASCAR mentality of like, ah, EA sports, you know what you're doing. Go ahead. What's so funny about that is I remember <laughs> you bought a new Mercedes and I was giving you shit because I've always loved speed. So I would buy the biggest, fastest car I possibly can. And I remember giving you shit once when you bought a new Mercedes and, I, and you bought a four-cylinder version. I'm like, why'd you get a four-cylinder? At least get a six-cylinder. You said, I don't give a shit how fast this car is at all. Like, if I could buy a two-cylinder, I would. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I care about the rate. Like I have a Range Rover now and it's all I care is like, make sure my Apple play plugs in. And like, I live in California. I'm not going fast at all anywhere. So yeah, that's fucking uh, Yeah. And they're going to put me in a NASCAR, which is not a great idea. Um, let's talk about NCAA football. Um, one of the, you know, obviously one of the titles that you and I loved more than anything. Um, it was, you know, it was at the apex moment when we put Jared Zabransky on the cover and it didn't really matter. Um, cause the game went so crazy. And I remember, uh, we had some people from USC that kind of kept forcing the USC cover. Um, and then the demise of the title, um, get, you know, give me your story on NCAA. How, uh, 
How did you? I, I, yeah, I loved NCAA. I always thought the NCAA game plan was a little, uh, uh, you know, faster and more fun. It was a little looser uh, than mine. And um, I, I just love that game play. I love college football. I still do, obviously. Uh, and, you know, the common thing, it didn't start with Zabransky, actually. It was the year before we did uh, we did Desmond Howard. And this is how we're all going to bring this together. The reason we did Desmond Howard is we had been working on a single-player sports career mode, which had never really been done in sports. Um, you had a career mode. You had a franchise mode, but you didn't have a single-player career mode. And so uh, we were doing that. So you're, and it was, they had some concept. Remember they had the dorm room and uh, uh, you could gather trophies. And as you got better, your dorm room got nicer. There was an Easter egg where there was a picture of your girlfriend and uh, the girlfriend's picture got nicer as you did better and all that <laughs> stuff. And, but it didn't really have a rapper. And, and I had been pushing uh, Steve Chang, the GM of, of Tiburon, the Orlando studio that produces Madden and NCAA and a bunch of other stuff. And I had been pushing him to let me go sign the Heisman license. And so uh, uh, we were just, we were pretty close on it, but not quite done. And, you know, Heisman Heisman's a, a premier license. Like it's, it's like a gusset. They don't just give that to anybody. And so it was uh, it was it, it was a lot of work to to land that deal. So anyway, it's uh, the the studio is, is in Orlando, which isn't far from Daytona. So Chang and and uh, Citrin and I and maybe one or two others uh, were up there for an event with ESPN because it was ESPN's initial year in NASCAR. And we go to do the same thing you just described, the Richard Petty driving experience. And they've got all of their ESPN personalities are there because they're like, hey, the the whole network is going to embrace NASCAR. We're all going to talk about NASCAR. Everyone was super high on it. And so I look at uh, at Steve Chang and I'm like, Hey, that whole Heisman deal, it's, you know, it's coming together well, and, you know, he knew it. And I'm like, I think I got our cover guy. He's like, yeah, who's, who's that? Who do you think is going to win? And I'm like, it's not about winning. And I pointed across and it was Desmond Howard. And Steve's like, oh, wow, that'd be pretty cool. And I'm like, yeah, he put the original shot of his Heisman pose against Ohio State on the cover. Like, he'd be amazing. He's on ESPN. He can, he can promote it for us from that platform as well. And, uh, it's the easiest cover vote uh, I ever, or cover decision we ever made. As you know, we used to pour in so many hours into researching and deciding who was going to be on the next cover. I literally went to Steve and said, that's it. If we're doing Heisman, we got to do him. And he's like, that's fantastic. I said, well, should I go talk to him like right now? He's like, yeah, sure. Like Sandy's not around. None of our athlete relations people are around. So I just go up to Desmond like, hey, I'm with EA Sports. We're doing a Heisman move. And I want you to be on the cover. Would you be down with that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Desmond would send me a Christmas card for years after that. He loved it. He was so good for it. But anyway, it all started there because it was such a surprise that we didn't just put the highest rated player uh, that was yeah. coming out or the Heisman winner. And so the next year, you know, we really learned that lesson and we said, you know, what could be, how can we do this again? Like, how can we surprise the world again? And that was the year that Boise State beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, if I recall, yeah. uh, on the, uh, on the Statue of Liberty play. And our boss, Todd Citron was an Oklahoma, uh, alone. And, um, and, uh, 
when I first proposed it, he was like, oh, hell no, you're trolling me. <laughs> I'm not taking your shit, Eddie. I'm like, no, I mean it. It's amazing. Like, it was such a way to end the season and such an incredible college football, just a historic moment in football. And he finally agreed, and we did it. And I remember, I can't remember if it was John, I think it was John Robinson, uh, who was a prominent uh, uh, sports video game writer at the time. And I remember him specifically calling out uh, in the game uh, when, it, when we released the game. He said something to the effect of from the time that they announced this game and that uh, I knew something was special. And the fact that they put Jerry's Bransky on it, I know they must have, I know they must have had a lot of internal arguments about that. But from my seat, the move was brilliant. I remember that quote specifically. It's the only time I've ever heard a comment of of uh, you know what the cover art looks like on a video game. Who's was the yeah. comment? That was amazing. I I had really high moments for selecting covers and I had some really low moments. I think my high moment obviously is getting to put a Seahawk on the cover of Madden with, with Sean was, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two really bad moments. I don't, you remember we, we were going to put Reggie on the cover um, and we had offered, we had offered, it was for 08. We had offered him um, the cover with three appearances. And the day that we offered him that morning, that afternoon, the, the Yahoo story broke about the, the money that he had taken right. for the house literally that day. His dad did. Yeah. Yeah. His dad, his dad did. And so we were like, Oh my God. And it just kind of blew up. And so like a week later we were like, we can't really, we can't put him on the cover just because of everything that was going on, but I didn't want to kind of screw him over. So we like, we took care of him. We did a marketing thing and then it just kind of left Vince young as, um, as the yeah. other choice. And Vince was, I was there, as a matter of fact, that night. So we threw uh, Reggie Bush's draft party in New York at the 4040 Club, yeah. Club. And I'm sitting there, my, my now wife, Katie, uh, was the first time she had ever traveled for anything professional with me. So we were, we'd been dating, uh, you know, a few months or whatever. And, uh, uh, and we were up in the green room at that with Sandy Sandoval, with Vince, Reggie, and um, uh, what's his name that became the number one, Michael? Uh, uh, yeah, the anyway. one. Yeah. He, he gets the call, and, uh, and God, it was the defensive end that ended up going to the Titans um, and uh, Williams. Uh, I forget anyway. But so he gets the call, and the two of them are sitting next to each other, the one and two pick. And so uh, I think it was Williams gets, gets the first call. He lights up, but doesn't say anything because Reggie's sitting next to him. Mario gets the call. Yes, Mario. I was with Mario. I think I was in the room because I was next to Mario, and he was like, I just, I'm fucking yeah. one. And I'm like, oh my God. And Reggie was sitting right there, too. And yeah. so we're sitting with him as he gets the call to realize that, you know, he was the superstar of the draft without question. Everybody knew he was getting picked one. And the night before, he bounces down to two. So. It's, yeah, uh, it was man, the life experiences we have in that world. Seriously, that was crazy. I think the other one, I think the other, the really bad experience that turned out okay, uh, was uh, Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. We had to make a decision on who to put on the cover. It was our 20th anniversary, and Brett was the only athlete that was actually in all 20 years of Madden. So, and, and he was, he had a great season, and so. I could just envision the marketing, like what we were going to do. And I remember I was, we were in Vegas at the NASCAR race and I had to make a decision by Monday on the cover because we had to, we had to move forward. And Peter 
Peter Moore, our boss at the time called and was like, Hey, what are we doing on the cover? And I was like, look, we, you know, I talked to Brett on, I talked to Brett. I think this is on Saturday. I said, I talked to Brett on Friday and he hasn't made a decision if he's coming back or what he wants to do, but we need to make a decision. And he's the right call because he's been in the game for 20 years. I think we just have to roll the dice with him. And, and he was like, just make sure he doesn't fucking retire or anything like that. And I'm like, I, like, he's not going to tell us he hasn't made a decision, but we got to roll the dice. And he said, okay. So we called, I called Brett. Um, I think we did on Sunday and we said, Hey, have you made a decision at what you're going to do? And he's like, no, I'm like, all right, well, we want to give you the cover. And he's like, great. And he announced his retirement on Tuesday. I'm like, Oh, fuck it. <laughs> killing me. Um, so he just wouldn't tell us anything. So obviously I got killed for that. So we've got a retired guy on the cover, which seemed, you know, I worked that out. I made that. Okay. Um, until about a month and a half before the game launched, he signed with the jets. And so now I've got a Packer on the cover. Um, he's going to be wearing a jets uniform, um, which was a nightmare. So we literally had to go, I think, you know, Larray who did our cover art had to create a jets uniform for him. And I think we, we shipped with it with him in a Packers uniform, but if you bought it at Walmart, they would print you out a new cover in a jets uniform. (laughs) It was just unbelievable uh, just to have to go through all of that um, with him. And I just remember trying to get him to go to the draft in New York uh, to, to announce the cover and he just would not go. And I couldn't think of a way he's like, I'm not going to go to New York for the draft. I just don't have to go. And I remember asking Tracy Perlman to talk him into it and he just wouldn't talk into it. And I remember thinking to myself, all right. So I said, let me, let me talk to to your wife. Um, and, and he said, okay. And I, I, I talked to Dina. I was like, Hey, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars for breast cancer research. If you could get your husband to go to the draft. And she said, done. And he, he got the phone back and he's like, you're an asshole and hung up. The phone. <laughs> and so we actually got him to the draft to do the announcement. I had to do a whole breast cancer. Like I think we, we did the pink ribbon wrap and we did exclusively target. We had some, yeah, fun. Yeah. But, we did some um, good stuff. I remember him giving your wife shit about uh, being a Peter member or something like that. Right. Oh, In the my, green room of Jimmy. I was at Letterman. Yeah. Letterman, yeah, yeah. He told a story where it's, it's literally like five of us and my wife, who's not a sports fan at all, could care less who Brett Favre is, but um, I made her come. And he's telling a story about how he loves his house and he loves what his favorite thing to do is shoot snakes. Loves shooting snakes, just killing snakes. It's just a fun thing. Loves the property. The only problem is he has a huge rat problem. And so my wife like literally looks at him and goes like, why don't you stop shooting the snakes? You don't have a rat problem. <laughs> he just points right, puts his finger right in her face. And she's, he's like PETA. And she's like, no, like, well, listen, if you don't kill the snakes. They'll eat the rat. He's like PETA. Um, so I called my wife PETA for like a year and a half after that. which I thought was pretty funny. Um, the last EA sports topic I want to talk about was like, I thought the coolest thing that you ever did there, uh, the masters, how, um, how on earth did you get the master's license and how did you uh, pull that together with Tiger Woods? Man, that was a six year negotiation. Um, and, uh, it took absolutely everything. Uh, when I inherited, uh, so we inherited the Tiger franchise in 07, I think. Uh, so the game was, uh, developed out of Redwood Shores, uh, in the Bay Area up until that point. Um, Shout out launched, to Amy. Shout out to Amy Bartlett. For sure. Still a Tiger, I believe. Uh, she and, is. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, or ETW, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we inherited the franchise uh, and started a conversation immediately 
with Hootie Johnson, who was the chairman of, of Augusta National at the time. And, you know, Hootie was definitely a good old boy and, and didn't really understand what we wanted to do. And he was kind of the last chairman to really want to keep Augusta's secrets. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably too young to remember, but like it wasn't until like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago that they even showed any of the front nine of Augusta uh, on broadcast. It was, it was, they just strongly believed that the beauty of Augusta should be held for its members uh, and that they were giving peaks to the rest of the world. And so I had two years of conversation with him, didn't really go anywhere. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and then, then the, the next chairman came in, uh, and uh, a great, great guy, the guy that brought uh, the Olympics to Atlanta, uh, and unfortunately his name escapes me right now, but uh, we hit it off immediately. Uh, my first trip out to present to them, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, fishing and that kind of stuff. And was it, like, was it Bill Payne? Was it Bill Payne? Yeah, yeah, Bill Payne. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Uh, and he immediately was like, I, I, my full-time house, the house that I spend most of my time is, is, is in Jackson hole. I'm like, Oh, well, I went to college in Montana and here's the rivers I fished. He's like, Oh, I always wanted to do that. And you know, this kind of stuff. So we get it off immediately. And his big vision for Augusta was to grow the game of golf through the history of Augusta. So, um, you know, I just ensured that our team was really, uh, focused on their goals and not our goals. Uh, and you know, it took him, man, three years to, to kind of get him all the way around and say, all right, like, I think we've got the workings of the deal here. Um, or just for them to agree to do it. Now we can go on to money discussion and all those kinds of things. And so we're now five years in the course is done, uh, which you can only imagine the, uh, you know, how much they protected that course. We had the, the, like the groundskeepers were involved in, in uh, testing the game and making sure it was accurate. The rules were uh, accurate on the greens. Like it was unbelievable how detailed we were. Um, <clears throat> everything is going great. We had changed. We were going to surprise the world by changing the, uh, uh, the release date it used to release in um, in like uh, uh, like midsummer, and we were going to pull it up to release the week of Augusta, but we weren't going to tell anybody. And so, yeah, we're we're getting everything set. Like we've got all, all the big stuff is done, the box art, all that kind of stuff. And Tiger's indiscretion happens, and uh, I just remember uh, <clears throat> I remember Billy calling me. And like the chairman doesn't reach out to you normally. Like that's not a normal thing. I think in, in an active relationship of probably 10 years, I might've spoke directly to the chairman uh, with him just picking up the phone and calling like maybe three times. And this was one of them. And he said, we have a contract. I know you guys have put a lot of work into this and I know it's not your fault, but Tiger Woods, his name is on, on the game. And I can tell you that we, we have a contract and as gentlemen, we're, we'll honor our word, but I have to tell you that we will be reluctant partners. And that's a quote, if you do so. And I'm like, after a five years of negotiation, I, I hate to see what a reluctant partner looks like because that was fully cooperative. So I had to go back and, you know, go to Todd and Peter and uh, literally the board and say, we got to shelf this. We got to ship without the game. We'll ship with a normal cover and we'll come back again next year 
and uh, get it done. So we did eventually. So six years of total negotiation, but it was amazing. And, um, you know, the gameplay was just so fun. Of course, looks so good. This is, this is in the Xbox 360 era, like just as we were really unlocking the potential of the hardware and it looks spectacular, played really well. You know, the vast majority of the world doesn't know how the course fits together. So this is really the first time that they're seeing the course in its fatality. And, um, you know, some incredible behind the scenes experiences too. Like I've probably been on that course 20 times without a tournament going. And then uh, you and I had some amazing times with tournaments and entertaining clients and all that kind of stuff too. It was a special time, definitely a career, uh, a career highlight. I still have a, I still have a 360 literally for NCAA play and the masters game. And that's, that's all I play are those two. I mean, the game was spectacular. Um, I didn't even know the backstory. I didn't even know we shelved it. I think I forgot that we had shelved it. Um, do you think the highlight of your time at EA sports is having to go to that, uh, Tigers press conference in New York, like one of 19 people in the room? It was, uh, it was actually a sawgrass. Oh, was it really? Uh, the the uh, famous press conference in front of the blue uh, curtain where yeah. he was first publicly seen for the first time in like six months. Yeah. Uh, was it, was definitely a, uh, it was definitely a moment where you're like, how did the inner city kid from Seattle end up here? I just don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. But it, I was, love, it was wild. I always love Tiger, so that's enough of the Tiger stuff. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about DraftKings. Yeah. Um, so speaking of going from there, I mean, I, obviously we all know you guys have spent enough money for us to all know how great DraftKings is and how big it is. <laughs> how are, how are you guys, uh, first off, how are you guys weathering this, this anti-sports shutdown? We're making the best of it. You know, like we've got contests running on absolutely anything that's going to the world. We're super excited to see Korean baseball, um, you know, come online today. Our, our contest numbers are, look really fantastic, but um, you know, we've had some, some certain surprise, uh, performers like, uh, Ukrainian table tennis was killing it first for a while there. Uh, but we're getting creative too. So we're doing, we're running, uh, sports book pools, uh, which are, you know, it's sort of like a fantasy sports book, but under sports, uh, excuse me, fantasy rules, but under a sports book law. So everybody enters, um, these happen to be free to play. Uh, they enter these pools, they answer, you know, 15 questions about an upcoming event and then watch to see how it comes out. So we were running those against like Tiger King and Shark Tank and, um, you know, basically anything that is getting the mass population attention yeah. uh, and uh, doing real well with those, keeping people engaged and having fun and giving out a bunch of money, man. We're, you know, those are all free to enter. So it's just money out of our pocket. Um, and then, uh, you know, we delve heavily into esports. So we've had a League of Legends uh, a product that on the fantasy side for years and years. Uh, so we doubled down on, on League of Legends, who has continued to compete through all of this. Uh, we added uh, Counter-Strike Go. We added Rocket League. Um, you know, and they are just taking off in the absence of everything else. So, you know, our, our entries around esports, uh, the number of unique players is up 20 X over the same period of time uh, from last year. And the number of entries is up 50 X. So like we're crushing it. Like a good example is CSGO. When we launched that thing, it took six days for us to get to uh, our first million dollars in entry fees. And just for scale, when we launched League of Legends years ago, it took 106 days to get to the same point. So, you know, we're just, 
anything that's on, we are being very, very aggressive about getting after. And, you know, that's just to engage the community. Like most of them are free to play and we're not making money, but we just want to stay engaged and provide some entertainment and a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a little bit of relief from all the stress of, of the current situation. And so we're having a good time and building out more and more capabilities and in the hope that just, you know, as sports do come back on and they will soon, um, that, you know, some of these businesses are going to stick and we get to longer things. You know, one of the, one of the great things we're doing now is the Madden scenes. I don't know if you've seen that, but yeah. we've been streaming Madden games and running again, free to play fantasy contests against them. And the numbers are great, man. Like we had a hundred thousand dollar purse, uh, last week to celebrate our eighth anniversary, uh, DK's eighth anniversary and, and sort of going public. Uh, and we had 220,000 entries. So, we're getting real traction here, and uh, I hope that traction uh, stays around because you know it's, it'd be awesome to be able to interact with all these sports every single night, not just game nights, uh, all year round. So, a bunch of those old video game contacts are coming in handy now. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's what I was. So I, I wanted to have you, I mean, you and I have been talking about doing this forever, but just seeing how you guys are weathering the storm so well and, and, and the creative ways you guys are driving it. I think for the esports and, and video game side of the business, I, this is a huge opportunity, right? You know, you guys probably wouldn't have spent as much time on the gaming side without the situation we're in. And so now that we're here, how do you guys, how do you guys make the most to your point to, to stick around, but how do these platforms and titles really use this as a foothold to kind of get into that space and drive interest around it, which is, which is really interesting. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt that esports is all we've always wanted to go do esports. It's just DraftKings is so surrounded by opportunity now with all the new territories opening for, uh, for sportsbook and casino and everything going on that, you know, our growth track trajectory is incredibly high just from market expansion. Um, and so, you know, we have been really focused on our core products, uh, for years to make them as clean and secure and reliable as they possibly can be. And it's not until something like this where it's like, okay, well, we need something to play here. Like, let's put all the priorities aside and, and, um, and, and get something out here so that people can stay engaged and keep having fun. And so that's where the turn has been. Um, you know, the numbers, like I said, are, are super, super promising. And, you know, we've got an opportunity to build this around it. So there's a, a few abnormalities with esports as far as how, um, you know, our the gaming regulators uh, see the sport and everything. So uh, certainly on the fantasy side, uh, keeping these things going after sports come back, I think is a real possibility. And uh, we're having lots of conversations how to best do that. That's amazing. Um, it's, it's fun to watch and fun to see, especially the legal Legends stuff, which is uh, I've been watching, which is great. You've, um, you've been in sports forever. What, uh, what do you think basketball is going to do? Uh, when do you think they're going to come back? I uh, don't know. Like we all see the same. I, I'm not getting inside ball from uh you know yeah. from, from the leagues or anything um you know yeah it's it's sorry it's, i'm sure you got that but yeah. um you know uh, I, I, there, it sounds like they're going to run some kind of a, a very very brief season um that will officially count um uh, just to get the guys back in full playing shape and then jump into the playoffs um but 
you know, everything is so fluid right now that there's just real not, there isn't concrete information anymore. I, I just, will go out on a limb though. I do think that MLB, which had their announcement today, they got to come out and like, give us a preseason and July 4th should be opening day. Every single team playing on yeah. July 4th with not being able to go watch fireworks and congregate in a big way. Like how can you get more American than that? Like we, that's what we got to see. But I don't know if this latest information from today just sounds like maybe they're looking at July 4th. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, listen, I don't know if I want to watch the NBA finals or boo the Astros more. I haven't decided. So like my Yankees are we're right. We're, we're right. Like put, put them in our division. Like, let's go. Like I follow the asterisks, the uh, asterisks tour on Twitter. Like I'm so excited to boo those guys. Um, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for doing this. It was, uh, it was really fun. We need to catch up more in general, but, uh, it was, it was good to, uh, share some stories. Yeah. We'll bring Jorge next time to get the, uh, uh, the blue versions of all the stories. I, I literally, <laughs> I'm going to do a show. I'm going to do a recap show. I want to get you and when we can get in a room together, I want to get you, me, Jordan and Mel, uh, and tell some stories. Um, oh, wow. We bring it down. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, I'll bring cigars and I'll uh, keep you guys <laughs> keep you guys focused. But uh, it'll be fun. It's awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. You got it. Thanks for the opportunity.